Hey, because this isn't a week-long conference, I can only take 13 verses of chapter 2, and we're going to jump into chapter 3 tonight. So let me tell you what we missed, uh, and it, it was really good. So you can read the final 12 verses of chapter 2. But when we left them, uh, Ruth and Boaz were in the field, and Boaz was saying, you're safe. He uh, said, I'll get my men to give you water. And then when we left, uh, things happened between then and tonight. Uh, Boaz secured Ruth. He, what he said in essence is, and you can read it yourself, he goes, go to the company workroom and eat at the table of my employees. She would be the only woman sitting there with all the harvesters. And then he turns to his harvesters. He says, I want you to harvest less. I want you to throw some things over your shoulders so that she can actually glean great things. Then he puts a protection plan in place for her, and then he secures her for the rest of the harvest season. He says, you don't have to go to any other field. You come here. I'm taking care of you. I got you, in essence. I'm pushing you, and you're good. And then he says, before you go home, I want to fill your basket, and he puts roughly 30 pounds of grain in her basket. She would be lucky, and most gleaners in that day, to come home with a meal and that's what Naomi would expect. She's dragging this big thing over her shoulder, and Naomi's like, what is this? And that's where we'll pick it up today. It's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. He's a man of standing, skilled in the art of war, a man of noble character, holding up like a pillar when everyone else was doing what was right in their own eyes, he wasn't. Men, men of standing, it's not easy, but it's really simple. I want you to see a picture of a man of standing, watch a video. It's, it's a little more simple than you realize. It's the little things that add up over time that make you a man of standing. Watch this video about a dad. Let's go. It's not that hard, guys. It's pretty simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And you've got what it takes. Remember, you've got what it takes. So I want to introduce you to an artist. And Kayla, hold off on the slides until I tell you to go through them. She's Italian, I love all things Italian. I'm an Italian citizen as well as an American citizen, 100% Italian. I don't need to go off more on my Italian, do I? Okay, we'll keep going. This past week I read about her. Her name's Giulia Bernadelli, and here's her story. One day she's drawing, she's a pretty good artist, and she spills her cup of espresso on her canvas. And she's about to freak out, but suddenly she gets this creative streak, and with her finger, she starts moving the grains and the stains around, and she, this is no joke, she draws a picture of Amy Winehouse, who's an artist as well, a singer. That moment changed her whole life. Her unique specialty has become turning random coffee spills into masterpieces. Now we can look at some of these. I got four of them. There's one. There's two, there's three, one more, look at that. I was drawn to that thinking, I think divinely, thinking about our time together because this is the book of Ruth, this is what it's all about. Ruth was a coffee spill, she was a throwaway, and God, we'll see, is remaking her into a masterpiece. That's my story too. I was a coffee spill. I was a throwaway. Sin does that. Sin dehumanizes us, and it makes us into people we, don't, we never want to be. But God takes coffee spills and human spills and sin and blows it and blow it and turns them into masterpieces. 
So let's pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. Let's jump right back in the story, and here we go. One day, Naomi, uh, her mother-in-law, said to her, um, daughter, my daughter, should you not try to find a home, should I not try to find a home for you where you'll be well provided? Naomi's continuing to think about Ruth. She's getting old, and she's going, you know what, I may not be here much longer. And remember, they don't, they're very poor. They're destitute. She's got, we need a long-term plan. We need a home. To the Hebrew, the word home meant a condition of security and rest. That's what homes should be, security and rest. Now, is not Boaz, verse 2, with whose servant girls you have been a kinsman of ours? Here's a new word that really is so important to this whole story. Uh, in that day, kinsman redeemer was so important. In those days, if you were in debt uh, and your property, you couldn't provide for it, it was given up. Someone would buy it, and you would lose your property a little bit. And, and if there was someone in your clan who was wealthy and someone in your clan who had means, who was related to you, they would be your kinsman redeemer. They could buy the property from whoever bought it from under you, and they would hold it till you could buy it back from them. Kinsman redeemer. And Naomi's going, there must be someone in Bethlehem who's a kinsman redeemer, right? His name is Boaz. He's part of our clan. Here's three things. Don't, this, this is really important, okay? Three things the kinsman redeemer had to have. One, they had to have the right. Everyone say right. They had to be the close relative next to you, okay? So they had to be in your clan. Two, they had to have the resources. Everyone say resources. They had to be wealthy to be able to buy the land back for you. Three, they had to have the resolve. Everyone say resolve. They had to want to do it. So they had to have the right. They had to have the resources, and they had to have the resolve. Boaz is a relative. He's wealthy, so he's got the right. He's got the resources. The question is, does he have resolve? Does he want to do this? She says to him, tonight he's going to be winnowing barley. Barley season's over, and he's going to be winnowing. That's the way they actually took the grain in on the threshing floor. She says, wash and perfume yourself. Still in the Middle East, people wear black clothing when they're in mourning. She was in mourning. She's like, it's done. We're done. Put on your best clothes and go out to the threshing floor and don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. What's she doing? She's pushing Ruth. She's saying, you don't know about our culture. I know about our culture. Let me guide you on how to do this. I've always told people we need three vital relationships in our lives. And you see it in the book of Ruth. Girls, you need this. Dads, you need this too. We need pacers, racers, and tracers. Pacers. We need mentors over us who've walked the road before us, who can speak to us from another generation, living and dead pacers. By dead pacers, I mean authors, right? I have a group of men who are 20 years older than me. They speak into my life. We meet regularly. I call them my board of directors, and this is my go-to question. Speak to yourself 20 years ago. Knowing what you know now, what would you say 20 years ago to your 20-year younger self? I have a dad mentor who's an all-daughter dad. I've got a ministry mentor. These are men that speak into my life. Racers, peers that I'm running the race with that spur me on. We're in the race together. They hold me accountable. They keep me encouraged. Tracers, generations below me, uh, for me, it's Gen X, it's millennials speaking into my life from a younger generation, 
teaching me about passion. This band, you guys are, you two, right here, you're doing that for me to see your passion and worship. It, it just spurs me on, and I want to be that, okay? So we need that. So she's got her pacer speaking into her life, right? And she says, take off your morning clothes. You're back on the market, so to speak. Boaz will want to celebrate God's hand lifting and allowing for the harvest. Tonight he's going to be alone on the threshing floor. Get dolled up a bit. I'm not asking you to stalk him. Just get in his way so he can see you. Wait for the right time and engage in the celebration. When you see your opportune time, make your move. I should say this to the girls in the audience. There's parts of scriptures that are prescriptive, like go and do this. There's parts of scripture that are descriptive, like this is what happened. This is a descriptive text. I would never encourage my daughters to do this, okay? Uh, but this is a different culture, a different time, okay? Are we clear on that? Don't go home and tell your parents about what we talk about tonight, or your moms. So here's what she says, look at this. Now, now you're gonna see why he calls it a descriptive text. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go, uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth said. Risky advice? Absolutely. Think about it. Here's what she's saying. Ruth, go to the party. After the guys have thrown a few down, Boaz goes to bed, crawl under his covers, and when he asks who's there, state very clearly, tell me what you want me to do, I'll do it. Okay, that's why I call this a descriptive text. And the reality is there's some cultural elements here that we lose in translation, but here's where the risk really lies. She has everything going against her. Being, and we've already talked about this, no agency, she's a foreigner, she comes from a, a, a country that was the enemy, there's racial tension between the two countries, and she's banking everything, everything, everything on Boaz's character. Who's banking on your character? Who is it that's hanging in the balance, that's in the wake of your life? that's banking everything on your character. This is why men of standing are so important. This is why they're pillars in their culture, in their community, when everyone else is doing what's right in their own eyes, and we are feeling the ripple effects, the sin quake in our culture. We have to be men of character so that people can bank on that. It provides security. We'll see that tomorrow. So she went to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, does not mean he was drunk. The scripture's really clear about being filled with alcohol to the point where it alters your state. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Literally in the Hebrew, it says his heart was good. He's basking in the fact that he's created great economy for his workers, that God has blessed him with a harvest, and his heart is good and merry. You know that feeling, right? Many of us do. He went over to lie down on the far end of the grain pile, another act of providence. He's away from his men. Ruth approached quietly. You, I mean, we know the story, right? But the original readers didn't, and it's like, oh my gosh, the suspense, the suspense is building. What will happen here? Can we trust Boaz? It's late at night. It's dark. No one's watching. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and discovered a woman laying at his feet. Praise God, he said. No, that's not what he said. 
Just had to put a little humor in there. Come on, getting a little tense in here. Who are you, he asked. Remember, there's no lights. It's pitch dark. And in Hosea, if you're taking notes, chapter 9, verse 1, speaking code, it talks about certain types of women uh, that would come at this time to take advantage of the men and rip them off. So he's, it's completely dark. He's like, who are you? I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since I'm your kinsman, since you're, my, uh, you're a kinsman redeemer. Now, again, cultural stuff is going on, so lean in and tune in. The term garment there can be translated two ways, garment or wings. Do you have your Bibles open? Some of you do. Turn to Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. And look at the blessing that Boaz this morning we saw prayed over Ruth. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of, of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In essence, Ruth is taking that same word and she's saying, I know I have refuge under God's wings. I'm asking that I could have refuge under yours too. You're a kinsman redeemer. You have the right. You have the resources. Would you have the resolve? She's not proposing marriage, but she's proposing that he propose marriage. And putting your garment over someone was like putting a ring on a finger for engagement. That's what's going on here. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. It's a risky venture. What will Boaz do? How would he respond? What would you do? I mean, really, what would you do? This is a safe place. No one's looking. It's late at night. There's a woman with a past. I would propose to you that this was not, especially girls, listen in, okay? And dads, but girls, listen in. I've got a dad comment for you. This is not the time where you figure out your convictions around your sexual sexuality. And there's a difference between convictions and, and opinions. Uh, an opinion is a belief you hold. A conviction is a belief that holds you. And it doesn't change no matter what the circumstances. As a matter of fact, it holds you so much, it keeps you from getting into situations where you have to wonder, what should I do? One of the best pieces of advice, ladies, that someone ever told me when I was a college student, new in Christ, he said 99% of righteousness, righteousness just means right living, is staying in the right place. When you stay in the right place, you're much better to have a right life. Boaz had convictions. When this scene happened, he's thought, oh my gosh, what do I do? What do I really believe about this? What should I do with my body? No, he knew that had been settled. He had beliefs that held him. He was determined to honor God. As a matter of fact, look what comes out of his mouth next. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. What you learn about Boaz here was that he was going to bless people in season and out of season. It's who he was. That's what men of standing do. They bless people. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. I, I, I'm, I'm boggled and blown away and convicted by the humility of this man. 
we just saw he is basically holding up all of Bethlehem as a man of standing. And look at his humility here. You haven't run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. Whatever fear came into your mind in coming to this moment, put it away. I'm a safe person. Don't be afraid. I don't want fear to be a part of this equation. I'll do for you all you ask. I have the right. I have the resources. And the thing you were afraid about, will you accept me? Am I worth the risk? You're worth the risk. I have the resolve. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman. Look at this. This is unbelievable. Of what? You are a woman of. It's in, I even put it in yellow for you. Open book test. You are a woman of. Do you remember man of standing? This is the same Hebrew word in the feminine. You are a woman who's skilled in the art of war. And you are a woman of high character. Ladies, like attracts like. What I used to say to my daughters was this. What you attract men to is what you'll have to keep them with. So attract them with your character. Attract them with your character. How did Ruth become this? We've seen in three chapters her going from a pagan worshiping woman to being a woman of noble character. How'd that happen? Well, Julia Bernadelli has a painting based on Nespresso that shows us. Let's let her show us this. That's the Sistine Chapel. This is what happened to Ruth. God touched her life. And God's energy and life and power transformed her from being a pagan to being this woman of noble character. What we say in our church, in our community, to becoming the best version of herself possible. That's God's agenda for us. God doesn't want you in a straitjacket. God doesn't want to keep you from dreams that he's put in your heart. He actually wants you to become more than natural, supernatural, the best version of yourself. Now, just when it seems like they're headed to the altar, there's an obstacle. Because he's a man of integrity, he raises it. Look at verse 12. Although it's true I'm a near of kin, there's a kinsman redeemer nearer than me. Stay here for the night. That was a protection mechanism. He didn't want her, excuse me, walking in night by herself. So he says, stay here. You're safe with me. I've got you. I'll protect you. And in the morning, if that other person wants to redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman was at the threshing floor. Don't tell anybody about this. That wasn't because he wanted to hide. Secrets aren't usually good things, right? He just wanted to protect her reputation because of the type of women that would come to the threshing floor. Bring me your shawl that you're wearing. Hold it out. So she did. He poured six measures of barley. It's unclear, but again, he's putting more into her. He's feeding her. He's taking care of Naomi. And then he went back into town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did he do, my daughter? 
Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, And look, he gave me the six measures of barley, saying, Go back, don't go back to your mother in law empty handed. Do you remember in chapter one, Ruth's Twitter feed or her post on social media? I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. And here is God saying to her through Ruth, through Boaz, You're not empty. I've got you. God's saying to her, I'll push you too. I love how Naomi's cared for in this story. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For I love this. This is what a man of standing does. People bank on his character. For this man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And then it's over. That's the last time we hear from Ruth and Naomi. Aren't you sad? I want to, and we'll get to heaven and talk to him, but I'm like, gosh, I want to hear so much more from you. But this is the last part of their dialogue. Let's land a plane with a few observations. Here's the first. Ruth and Boaz submitted their desires to God's standards. There was passion that night on the threshing floor, but they submitted their passion to God's boundaries. Boaz did the exact opposite of what Elimelech did. He didn't transgress God's clear boundaries, and it will go well for him. He handled the situation very honorable. Uh, if you want to keep God's blessing in your dating relationship, girls, or in your friendship relationships, keep it blessable. Keep it in the boundaries that God has put for you. I tell my daughters all the time, every time I have to say no, and I, I try to say yes as much as possible, but every time I have to say no to you, know that there are two inherent uh, motives behind that, to protect you and to provide for you. I say no because I want to protect you. There might be something you're not aware of that will cause danger, and I have to say no. I want to provide for you. I want the best life possible for you. The same is true of God. Every negative command in Scripture is God's loving command for us to protect us and to provide for us. But, and more importantly, we're going to close with this. I see the gospel, and gospel means good news. I see the good news so vividly in here. Ruth 3 is a vivid picture of that good news. I want you to lean in for these next few minutes, please. For some of you, it's the whole reason you're here this weekend. See, before time, God took a risk with his love. He created you and me, knowing that we would spurn his love, knowing that at some point we'd shake our fist at God and say, I know better than you, so I'm going to do my life my way. And we ran away. We were the Elimelech. We crossed the boundaries. But Jesus did the unthinkable. He ran after us, and he unzipped eternity, stepped into time, and he took on a form that we could relate to, a human being named Jesus Christ. And he spent his whole life risking his love for you and for me. He knew who would respond and who wouldn't. And then he gave the ultimate risk. He put himself on a cross to be shamed and humiliated and tortured and take on the whole sin of the world and take on the wrath that you and I deserved. See, listen to me. Hear, hear me closely. Jesus had the right to do this because we are his creation. Jesus had the resources to rescue us, 
because he would take on the wrath that you and I deserve. And I want you to hear this. Jesus had the resolve to come to earth, to leave eternity, to put up with sinful human beings, to be beaten by his creation, slapped, spit upon, hung naked on a cross, humiliated. Why? Because he was resolved, I love you. I will stop at no end to rescue you. Your running away from me has put you in more danger than you would ever think possible. And so I'm running after you with this simple message. Come home. Come home. You've been running far enough, long enough. You quit being human. Sin is insidious and has done terrible things in your life. So it's time to come home. What does Jesus want us to do? What does he want to do for us? The same thing that Naomi told Ruth to do. He wants to wash you clean, cleanse you of the guilt and the remorse and the shame you feel because of your past, because of the sins that you've committed, that I've committed. He wants to anoint you with a fresh new fragrance so that you actually smell like Jesus. The New Testament calls it the aroma of Christ. When you walk into a room, people go, wow, there's something different about you. He wants to change your clothes, like Naomi told Ruth, and give you a whole new life. If anyone comes to Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. Will that risk pay off in your life? How would you respond to love like that? I know there are many of us in this room that have said yes to Jesus. And you're living in that freshness of new life. And maybe for some of you in this room, you have to do what I had to do wearing this ring. This isn't my original wedding ring. This is my 15-year anniversary ring. And for our 15-year anniversary, my wife said, you know, i got to be honest with you. When we got married, I said I love you, and I thought I did. But based on my life and everything we've experienced in 15 years, I didn't know what I was getting into back then. Just 15 years later, I know the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I want you to wear this ring, because this is my I still do ring. 15 years later, with all the pain and all the blessing we've had in our relationship that you've caused me, she said, I want you to know if I had that choice to make all over again, I'd still do. I still love you. For some of you, that's your prayer tonight to Jesus. The songs the interactions, the beauty of the stars when I walked here. Something has grabbed your heart. And I know for me walking here, I'm like, Jesus, I can't believe it. I, can't, I never knew when I received you that Halloween night, my freshman year in college, that down the road it would be this good. I'd do it all over again, Jesus. I'd do it all over again. I'm all in with all that I know now. I still do. But for some of you, it's your first time, and you've never really come acquainted with the gospel, and you're going, oh, my gosh, is it really that good? I don't have to earn my way for God's love. He'll give me new life if I just ask him. The only thing Jesus and God wants from you is your yes. Yes, I've blown it with my life. Yes, you came to rescue me. And yes, I'm opening the door of my life. Come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. I want to be a new creation. I want to be a new man. I want to come off this mountain new. We're going to go to prayer, and I'm going to give each of us a chance to respond to Jesus. Let's bow our heads and let's pray.
This is probably the best, most important question I could ask you here, and I ask it wholeheartedly. If I could stop time and go face-to-face, toe-to-toe, knee-to-knee, eyeball-to-eyeball with you, humbly, without any ounce of judgment in me, I would ask you this question. Have you said yes to Jesus? I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm not asking about church attendance. I'm not asking about the size of your Bible or how often you read it. I'm asking, have you ever said yes to Jesus? Yes, Jesus, wash me because I've sinned. I've crossed your boundaries. It's hurt me. It's hurt others. But most important, it's hurt you. I'm so sorry. I need to be cleansed. And yes, Jesus, anoint me. Step into my life. Forgive my sins. Put that new operating system in me. You call it a new heart, a new control center. I want to live for you. And and yes, Jesus, change me. Make me the person you want me to be. Make me new. If you've never said yes to Jesus, as I've been talking, you can just be praying a simple prayer. Yes. Yes. Tonight, yes. I'm drawing a line in the sand. Yes. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, whether you're a daughter or a dad, I want to make eye contact with you. Would you just clearly look up at me if you've said yes to Jesus tonight? You don't need to be sheepish about it. Just look up at me boldly. I want you to see eyes of compassion and love. Just make some eye contact. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You're saying yes to the God of the universe. I love this. Yes, Jesus. Just make eye contact with me. Let me see your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you've made that decision and tonight you're going, you know what? Like my wife said to me, I do it all over again, Jesus. I'm so in. You have, you have boosted my faith this weekend. And I want you to know now, even though I did it a while back, now I'm saying yes again. I love you. If that's you, Yes, Jesus, I do it. I still do. Can we look up? Can you look up at me so we can make eye contact? I still do. I still do, Jesus, yeah. I still do. By the way, Jesus loves, loves seeing this, yeah. I still do. Yeah. still do. My faith is being spurred on right now. So, Lord Jesus, we give ourselves to you anew anew and afresh. Thank you for, again, the gospel, the good news. I'm sorry for what many have made it, how the good news has become such bad news to so many people. We want you to restore our lives so that we can live in a supernatural way, so that you can show up through us in unexpected places, in unexpected ways and people meet you. Thank you for the yes that you said to us, and we respond back to you. Yes. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.